Today we, who are still here, <clears throat> are continuing our Solid Faith series based on book one of Peter. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to chapter one of 1 Peter. So I love a good restoration story. And since I'm from Canada, I'm going to tell you a Canadian one. Peter Trant, yes, another Peter, is an antique car fanatic from Vancouver, BC, who takes his time when he restores old cars. Peter found this dilapidated old clunker in 1966 and bought it for $300. It sat untouched for years. And in 1979, Peter finally took it apart to restore it. His restoration was so meticulous that it would take him 33 years before his project was finally finished. So why am I telling you this story? Why does it matter? Well, this car turned out to be something pretty special. When he lifted out the front seats, he found imprinted on the floorboards the words, not for production. This was a prototype car that was built by GM of Canada with parts specially shipped from the United States. It had been meant for an important purpose. But when Peter found it, it was a real mess. The fabric roof had, in, had caved in, water had rotted much of the wood, and completely ruined the interior of the car. Years of careful work were needed to restore it. Peter Trance fully restored 1933 McLaughlin Buick Series 8 Victoria Coupe was honored at the 2013 Luxury and Supercar event, winning first place among all the classics. It was even given a special award for excellence called This Car Matters. The former owner had misused that car, neglecting it, leaving it to be nearly destroyed by the elements, but that car was found. It was bought. It was redeemed. It was treated as the special vessel that it truly was because its new owner saw its unique, special value. In today's lesson, you are that car. You have been washed. You have been redeemed. You have been restored. Your new owner sees you as very special indeed. Now, before I read our text from 1 Peter, I want to remind you about what Jacob talked about last Sunday. And we need a bit of a refresher because the first word in the section I'm about to read is therefore. <laughs> so let's talk about what the therefore is referring back to. If you'll recall, Jacob shared with us how Peter wrote a letter of encouragement. The early church would have heard this message with excitement and joy, knowing that Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, was writing directly to them. Peter had been transformed from a simple fisherman into a leader, even the leader, of the early Christian church. And he was writing to remind the believers of their own new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's writing about their salvation. So now, let's read what follows. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, 
Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. That's really good news, isn't it? It's easy to read a passage like that and get from it a list of do's and don'ts. Be sober. Don't conform to evil desires. Be holy, which just means set apart by God for special sacred purposes. Live in reverent fear. Respect and honor the Lord. Purify yourselves. Obey the truth. And indeed, all those things are in there. But to read this merely as a list of things to do or not to do would strip it of all of its deeper meaning. It would be like a bystander seeing Peter Trant's awesome McLaughlin Buick and saying, eh, it's just a car. True? Yes, but it kind of misses the whole point, doesn't it? Now sandwiched right in the middle, between the various do's and don'ts, is the focus of our text today, verses 17 through 19. It's the very center, the heart of that section, and I think it deserves more than a cursory glance. In fact, it contains the real meat of this sandwich. Remember, you are that special and unique person that God has redeemed, bought with the precious blood of his own son. There is nothing more valuable to God than that blood, except you. Because of the shedding of that blood, we can be restored to God's family and adopted as his children. Another thing that becomes evident is that we aren't the ones doing the restoring. It isn't as obvious in this passage, but it becomes clearer when we start pondering how are we able to do all these good things that Peter's mentioning. It's only through the power of Christ. Some other well-known verses might come to mind, such as Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. The emphasis being on through Christ. We can't do it on our own, and we're not expected to. God is the one who transforms us through the power of his spirit working in our lives. A few weeks back, Jacob taught on the fruit of the spirit, listed in Galatians 5. Do you remember them? Say it with me. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Good. They said it a little faster in the song, right? But boy, I am glad that is not the fruit of Darren. I don't have to produce all of that all on my own. It comes from God's spirit that lives inside of me. I don't have to do the work to make it grow. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He tells us that he brings us rest, that his burden is light, not hard to carry. Now, this is very contrasted with the leaders, the religious leaders of his time, who were putting huge and difficult burdens on the people. So let's not turn around and read a passage like 1 Peter and put a huge bunch of burdens on ourselves. That's not the point. That is not what Peter's telling us. So, if we didn't have to do anything at all, then why would Peter even mention it here? Darren, you're confusing me. Just who is supposed to do the work here? God or us? A couple years ago, my daughter Rachel took a logic class, and she learned about the fallacy of that sort of thinking. It implies that there's only two choices. Either God does all the work, or I do all the work. Well, the truth is, Neither of those extremes are true. Now, anyone who's ever been in a class of mine knows I can seldom resist mentioning that philosophical extremes are rarely true. Now, extremes are very seductive to human beings because they bring clarity. In this case, if my transformation or my renewal is 100% my responsibility, well, I might, I might not like that, but at least I know exactly Who's responsible? It's clear. And my path becomes clear, even if it's also very hard. And the other extreme gives clarity too. If it's 100% God's responsibility to transform me and change me, well, I can just sit back and do nothing. After all, it's up to him to determine when or even if this transformation is going to occur. So while the extremes do bring clarity, they don't bring truth. Truth can be found in this case in what I call the uncomfortable middle, where spiritual growth is partly my responsibility and partly God's. I can't do his part, and he won't do mine. Remember, Galatians 5.1 tells us it is for freedom that Christ sets us free. God did 100% of the work to get us to the point where we now can make a choice. After all, having a choice is the key difference between being a slave and being free. God does all the work to lead us right up to that point. He gives us this amazing ability to choose, but then he does a very surprising thing. He leaves the actual choice completely up to us. We are responsible for what we choose. What are we going to run after? What are we going to turn away from? It's about that precise moment, church, that Peter is teaching here. 
When through our freedom in Christ, we encounter a moment of choice, what will we choose? Peter encourages us, don't conform to our old evil desires. He urges us to choose to be holy, to live in reverent fear, to purify ourselves, to obey the truth. But what happens right after that moment of choice? Once we choose, then what does God do? My wife Sandra's brother Richie is known for talking in his sleep. Many years ago, he and his wife got a phone call at their house in the wee hours asking Richie to come pick up his wife's sister because she was out and her car had broken down. Richie answered the phone, listened to her tale of woe, but he wasn't really awake. After she finished speaking, he simply said, well, I hope you find someone to help you, and hung up. <laughs> of course, his sister called or his wife called her sister right back, woke Richie all the way up so he could go and actually help her, but he has never lived that moment down. <laughs> so in our moment of choice, when we decide to call on God, is he going to say to us, well, I hope you find someone to help you? No. God helps us all the way. But how and how much? Welcome to the uncomfortable middle. It may sometimes seem like he isn't helping us enough. But perhaps that's because he's asking us to do some of the work too. Or maybe some major godly help is just around the corner, but since we can't see the future, we have no clue that he's about to step on things in a really big way, and step up in a really big way. One thing I know for sure, God will never leave us alone. When we choose him, when we choose not to conform to our old, evil, selfish desires, when we choose instead to live holy because he is holy and calls us to be like him, I believe with all my heart he will help us all along the way. Back in our text, right after talking about how we were purchased, Peter makes a very surprising statement in verse 20 you still have your Bibles open. Peter claims that Christ was not a new idea of God's at all. Through Peter, God lets us know that Jesus was the plan from before the creation of the world. Now, if you're like me, you can get a little bit confused here because if I read the Bible and see all the things that I might mistakenly think God tried out before Christ, I mean, think about it. First, there was Adam and Eve. Well, that didn't work out so well. So they got kicked out of the garden. Right? But then, so much sin developed that he had to almost wipe out humanity with the flood. So he tried again with Noah. And Abraham. And Joseph. <laughs> and Moses. And David. And Solomon. Right? Over and over and over again, it looks like God was trying over and over might look like God was trying new things, hoping each time that one of them would finally work out for his people. After all, I'm an engineer. That's often how I approach problems. I'll try out all kinds of different things until I finally find a solution that works. And from a human perspective, I'm pretty good at troubleshooting problems. But God's way is completely different than Darren's way. <laughs> 
I think it's hard for us, church, to fathom how infinitely wise and powerful our Heavenly Father really is. Peter is telling us here that Jesus is not simply the latest idea that God was trying out. It's not that God was just hoping against hope that things will finally work out this time with his son. No, Jesus was the whole idea all along. Before the creation of the world, God had Jesus as the plan. He was always the plan. Now that plan has finally been revealed to us, but Peter is telling us here that it was always God's plan. In fact, Peter underlines that thought by quoting from Isaiah to remind us that while our lives on this earth are fleeting in light of eternity, the word of the Lord endures forever. It's kind of cool, right? God's plans work perfectly, even when he makes them way, way ahead of time. Now, that's a comforting thought for us as Christians because we know that God can keep his promises. We know what he's promised for us. We know he's promised to prepare a place for us with Jesus in eternity. The bottom line is, God rescued us. We've been redeemed. We've been ransomed. Our Father loved us so much that he bought us. He cleansed us. He restored us. He has a new purpose for us. One that is much better than anything we may have been doing before. He is reshaping us to be the very best version of ourselves. And he has important kingdom work for us to do. So remember the command to believers we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22. Since we've been redeemed by Christ, we are to love one another deeply from the heart. Now, loving others can take many forms. But to me, the highest form of love towards one another often happens when we think about what someone needs and then take action to make that happen. Some of you may remember Dawn Taylor. She was a member of Tri-Valley many years ago. There she is with baby Rachel. She worked as the church secretary for a time with Steve Martin. She was a caring friend and a champion encourager, and she was always ready to help. She had a heart for reaching out to people who were seeking, struggling, or down on their luck. She wanted to help hurting people know Jesus so they could experience his transforming love the way she had. Now, when Sandra and I were expecting Rachel, we were still pretty new at Tri-Valley. Now, everyone was kind and excited for us, but preparing for the arrival of a newborn was pretty lonely and overwhelming for us because, remember, all of our family was thousands of miles away. Not long before Rachel was due, Dawn Taylor appeared at our door with a big smile, her painting supplies, and her favorite tunes in hand. She showed up and spent many hours making sure our baby girl would have a beautifully painted nursery to come home to. Painting is just one of the many ways that Dawn is known for showing generous love by her actions, usually without even being asked. We were so moved by her outpouring of unselfish love and friendship that we gave Rachel the middle name Dawn. Not long after Rachel was born, Dawn and her husband Greg moved to Texas to be nearer to their family there. We were sad to see them go, 
but we still treasure the memories of the times that we shared together. The way Dawn lives out her faith to this day demonstrates very clearly what Peter said about how we are to love one another deeply from the heart. Church, today, you might feel like you are far from mint condition. You may feel like your life is no model for others to look at in amazement and admiration. But remember, when Peter Trant came across his old clunker, it wasn't much to look at either. Many other people had passed by it without a second glance. And remember, too, it took many years of work to lovingly restore that car to its true glory. You might feel like you've been torn apart, like all your upholstery has been ripped away, like your guts have been ripped out and turned upside down. Restoration of a heart can be a messy business and can seem to take a very long time. But we can trust in our Father God. He restores us and heals us and helps us grow. He is constantly at work in our hearts and our lives, refining us and reshaping us to reflect the beautiful image of his Son, Jesus Christ. He's preparing us to do kingdom work, and he calls us to love others as he has loved us. This week, I'm going to practice loving others deeply from the heart, as Jesus calls us to do through the words of Peter. And you know what? I'm going to ask you to do that too. Think about and choose at least one person you know who needs some extra love. And then you be the one to give it to them. Commit their name to memory. Write it down on your phone or a sticky note. And every morning, pray for them. And remind yourself, Jesus is calling you to actively love that person then find some ways to do that. As Christ followers, we need to treat everyone as if Jesus loved them so much that he was willing to die for them. Because the truth is, he did. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving us these examples, Lord. Thank you for working with us through our own personal transformations, whatever those might look like. You are our God. You are the great restorer. And we put our hope and our faith in you. We put ourselves firmly and fully into your hands, Lord, because we know you can be trusted. We know that your plans come true. And we know that you care for us in a deep way. You see the special, individual, unique selves that we are in a way that only you can. And you are working to help us become the best versions of ourselves. Guide us, Lord, in that process. Guide us and take care of us. And help us then turn around and love each other in a special way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.